Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. Not yet, Snake! It's not over yet! I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is The Best is Yet to Come, our final episode of Podcast on Frontiers. Holy shit! Our spoiler warning for the very last time. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes, we know who Meryl marries, we know the fate of Master Kazahira Miller. But this is our last episode. All spoilers will be incidental in nature as we reflect back on our 60-plus episode coverage of the Metal Gear saga. And before we get into it today, um, I am going to make Brian plug where all of his stuff is. Um, I would like to do it up front just so um, people know where they can follow you, and I'll plug mine after that. Well, I just changed my Twitter name because I I meant to do that uh, months ago. To be the same as my Patreon, which is Brian J NBA. If you want to hear me talk about the NBA and occasionally video games, and specifically um, NBA draft stuff, that's my main thing on Twitter. Yeah, there's summer is usually your busy season, right? Eh, spring, March to June, yeah. And if it helps, is there any NBA teams you specifically root for? Supposedly the Chicago Bulls, but we'll see. Yeah. We're both Bulls fans on here. Uh, mm. May not have come across in our previous 60-some episodes, but we are Bulls fans. Ow. And Cubs fans, unfortunately. Yeah, that too. Technically also a Bears fan. I'm trying to watch more NFL this year. You shouldn't. But the Bears just make it hard. It's the thing, and this is the worst fucking story I can have, but mm. I went to a eSports bar last weekend for a friend's birthday, and... I played Madden there, and while I was utterly unimpressed with how Madden 2K3 or 23 looked, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember having fun playing these games, because I was instantly good at it again, and I was like, man, I did like football for quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But the Bears are not fun to watch, even when they're steamrolling the Patriots. Um, That's like the first time they've been somewhat enjoyable all year. As for me, if you haven't noticed, I'm covering the Lord of the Rings over at My Brother and My Captain My Podcast. Uh, You can listen over there. We are currently covering the Andor series, which me and my co-host Emily both really love. Um, You can also support that podcast at patreon.com slash mybromycatmypod. I hope to get Brian in there at some point for a guest episode or something else sooner or later. Um, And then I'm also covering A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones slash House of the Dragon over at Nauticast ASOIAF, where I talk about... All of that stuff with my friend Emmett. Uh, Emmett's also played some Metal Gear, so you will start hearing like Metal Gear stuff in our episode of uh, A Song of Ice and Fire as we go forward. Um, we have Aria 6 coming up, which is where we meet Beric Dondarian and the Brotherhood Without Banners. And I definitely talk about Big Boss and his Army Without Borders in that episode. Let's make a toast to the time. Waiting for tomorrow when we're played out by the band Drowning out our sorrows, what will become of us now At the end of time, we'll be fine, you and I 
Before I was conscripted to war in Westeros, the initial plan was for us to cover Death Stranding after Metal Gear Solid V. Those plans are now on hiatus. I do plan to finally play it in full in the next year, and maybe we'll be able to hop back onto Mike and talk about it here and release a couple episodes for you. But Brian has been playing Death Stranding now, or now-ish, so I want to give him a chance to just give his thoughts so far and how it kind of compares to the Metal Gear stuff we've talked about um, in our coverage. I've kind of, I kind of, uh, I don't want to say danced around it, but I've kind of um, mentioned it a few times, like how um, I think I really dislike about Death Stranding, and it's it's a problem that MGS Four also has. Is uh, way to phrase this: the the amount of exposition, and and specifically like um, lore and like technology dump stuff that's in Death Stranding is occasionally very repetitive and kind of boring. And it doesn't really work for that kind of game. Whereas for like Metal Gear Solid 2, if a character is talking about the minutia of a piece of technology for 15 straight minutes, it's meant to be like weird and disorienting and frightening. Like you're, you're, it's meant to evoke that you're trapped in this weird machine. And like that, it works great for a spy thriller. It doesn't work so well for a, a strand type game, whatever that is supposed to be. <laughs> um, that's really my biggest complaint with Death Stranding. Like otherwise, it's, it's a, it's, really a unique game. I almost said very unique. You're not, you're not supposed to say that there's <laughs> unique or not unique, um, but it, it doesn't play like anything else. Really? Like it's obviously a coach of a production just in the star fucking nature of it, just in how it looks, how it, the, the design, the UI is very him. Um, the map, you know, just a lot of, a lot of stuff that, that is, if you didn't even know, you would be able to tell pretty quickly, but it, um, I'm still only like maybe 15 hours into it, but it's really, it's just a fun, it's, it has a gameplay loop that's very, very different from anything else I've ever played. And it's, I am like, uh, I think this is a trait that I share with Kojima. I am like a, um, in gaming, I get, I get off on that weird, like, uh, like seeing where people live and like envisioning how, like what, it, where do things go? I guess like, like just sorting things and like, if you like uh, uh, like building up little towers of things, or like uh, if you like if you're like a pack rat, you are like specifically like a person who likes packing things in a suitcase. You will love Death Stranding. That is a game from that is that is the entire premise of the game almost. That and hiking. If you like hiking, but it is it is a little um, kind of eerie in retrospect that it um, it was a game about reconnecting America after a deadly well I, it's not a pandemic after a deadly apocalypse but it's this it's a game that I think a lot of people were drawn to during the pandemic and I, I always feel awkward saying during the pandemic past tense as though it's over right right but it um yeah it's a really just a strange game Norman Reedus I mean it, it has enough of those the the touches in there where like you can ride a certain motorcycle that is uh, it's I think it's Norman Reedus's motorcycle they put in the game they, they have scanned it <laughs> And he says, like, wow, this should be on ride with Norman Reedus, which is a bizarre thing to say. Like, <laughs> it's a very Kojima thing. Like, we, we've been getting into the, some of the MCU stuff does, like, the uh, actor references themselves outside of, you know, outside of the MCU kind of thing. But this is just straight up the character saying, the, the, like, a, referring to a real life show that the actor is in, which is just a very, uh, it's the Sam Lake and Kojima thing. They're the only two people who would do that. I don't know. I, it's the cast is great. Troy Baker's in it. 
He's a he's a dickhead. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, of course, is in it. So Kojima's two loves are in are in this game. I don't know. I'm I'm going to finish it at some point, and I'm going to probably get the sequel on PS5. Now that I have a PS5, so beforehand you were playing on your Xbox or uh, on my P- my laptop PC. Yeah, yeah. It's on it's on Game Pass uh, Ultimate. So okay. I, I enjoy it. It's I'm I'm I want to see what's next, but I think. I think the big issue with it, the other big issue is that the, uh, the lore really is just nonsense. It's, it's like completely, like there's cool ideas in it and the cool and cool, extremely cool visuals. Like some of the BT visuals are great, but it's not even compared to Metal Gear. It doesn't have the benefit of being tied to real world history. that Metal Gear does. It's really kind of grounds it in a lot of ways. So uh, it, it's a lesser work for me, but it is also the first one, and I want to see what else he does after this also. Like, it's really fascinating. Yeah, that's great. I am very much looking forward to play it. Like I said, hopefully when I do, we'll at least be able to do an episode or two about it somewhere, mm-hmm. probably here, but uh, we'll see when that time comes. Um, I, I'm st- probably going to up my search for a PS5 um, and then try to just play it on there with the director's cut. That's That's what I have. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do have a PS4 and a PS4 copy of it. I got about 10 hours into it and I was enjoying it, but it was right around just other stuff going on in life. And then once we started this podcast, I'm like, you know what? It would be fun to play it for the podcast. Um, Plus, I was busy trying to play all the other MGS games again so we could do this podcast. But um, I imagine we'll circle back to it in some capacity. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Yeah, just for basically all the reasons you said. I don't know if it'll ever kind of like displace or rival Metal Gear for me because, you know, you can see how much I'm into Metal Gear here. Um, but I am very much looking forward to it. It's one of the top games I plan to play once I have some free time. Life isn't just about passing on your genes. We can leave behind much more than just DNA. Through speech, music, literature and movies, what we've seen, heard, Felt, anger, joy, and sorrow. These are the things I will pass on. That's what I live for. We need to pass the torch and let our children read our messy and sad history by its light. We have all the magic of the digital age to do that with. The human race will probably come to an end sometime, and new species may rule over this planet. Earth may not be forever, but we still have the responsibility to leave what traces of life we can. Building the future and keeping the past alive are one and the same thing. When we started this podcast, I don't think either of us thought it would grow to be this expansive or granular, which is probably my fault. I'll fall on that sword. Brian outlined a 25-episode series for us, essentially three episodes per game with the general plot summary, then picking out one to two topics about each game, like, say, the Colonel AI breakdown in Metal Gear Solid 2 or the Cobra unit in Metal Gear Solid 3. But I think in our second episode, where we had planned to recap the story of Metal Gear Solid 1998 in full, we realized there's a lot here, like too much even. It's nigh nonsensical to try and explain it without the details that made us love the game in the first place. We powered through that first game as planned, plus a bonus episode with our frenemy Sam Sheehan. 
We determined sound clips would be key. Both the music and voice performances are what brought Metal Gear to life. So I wanted y'all to be able to appreciate all that as we did. Episode number seven, Just a Few Steps to Outer Heaven, our first Metal Gear Solid 2 episode, I think is where we really got rolling. Dedicating full episodes to production and when we played this game, doing deep character breakdowns of the main cast as we went along, and also building out space to talk about topics ranging from Dadaism to fan service to sexuality to David Bowie. Maybe those last two are one and the same. We were able to use Metal Gear, a reflection of American Empire and its pop culture from a Japanese creative's point of view, to launch into all manners of discussion. The other thing is, the thesis of our podcast, focusing on the use of setting, commentary on imperialism, and challenge to the video game power fantasy, was not something I had initially planned. That started formulating near the end of Metal Gear Solid 1, and it ended up being a meme we carried through every game, I think to great critical effect. We were really able to dive into very specific narrative and gameplay decisions made by Kojima and his team, and really dug into the why of them, on the back of our thesis and own political ideology. And with each game, we were able to see how Kojima tweaked, refined, and transformed his commentaries, which, when unraveled, end up being very incisive and occasionally prescient. And part of that critique was introspection, Kojima's own culpability in forwarding military action and sequel culture, which have come to dominate the media landscape, though with little of the depth or reflectiveness of Kojima's work. The other thing this pod helped me cultivate is the meta, being able to clearly get into meta-analysis as a recursive concept, something that bubbles up and broaches past the subtext and textual level, exploring that space in between the game and the player. That's where Psychomantis reading your memory card, the kernel AI telling you to turn off the game, or the sorrow sicking every soldier you killed on you come into play. As I've said before, one definition of great art is for meeting content, and these games are in that S tier of games that do that. The last thing I'll say is we were able to come up with our own lingua franca for analyzing these games. Genes, memes, phantoms, proxies, a broken world of snakes and metal gears. Kojima gave us some of those tools himself, and we were able to pick up from there. So since our analysis of Metal Gear Solid 1, we've been able to use the same tools and same jargon to do our critique, so there is a through line and consistency. Make no mistake, Metal Gear is our true mother tongue. I don't know if I feel 100% comfortable saying it was successful critically. I don't know if that's really up to us to say. I will say that in case people can't tell, uh, not to say that I, I wasn't involved, but Manu kind of drove and he wrote most of the scripts. I would write stuff occasionally, but usually I just went off the cuff because I think that's not to say that there's anything wrong with. I mean, I like writing, but uh, I, I don't know. I feel like if, if the podcast was both of us just reciting scripts back and forth to each other, it would be a little staid. So I, I uh, kind of on purpose didn't do that. Also, usually we record this the first day off of I have work a week, so I was always a little tired. <laughs> and then sometimes I would oversleep because I have a, a really fucked up sleep schedule, even though I'm in my 30s. It's, it's gotten better, but it used to be that I, I, when we started this, I lived at a place where there were children screaming below me, and then there was always like construction going on. I don't, I don't get it always construction going on and so i would wake up i'd go to bed at one or two in the morning i'd wake up at five I'd go back to bed i'd wake up at eight and i had a really really weird sleep schedule so a lot of times i would just be really tired when we started but i did write things occasionally and i feel like i, I probably should have written a little more 
to go off of some of the episodes because I definitely um there's 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 a handful of episodes where I I did not bring my A game and I was just kind of hanging out, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, this is not my job. This is your job. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like we still had, I, we did some great shit. Like, we really did. I, I really did not expect to get as deep as we did with a lot of this on a series that really, as I'll, t- I'll talk about in a little bit, really deserves that kind of treatment more than anything else I can think of, really. I, I mean, I love Final Fantasy, and I think you could talk about it, but I don't think Final Fantasy has the, again, the the real world application, applications, this is the wrong word, the reflection of the real world in a way that the Metal Gear really is. And I really am happy with it in the end. Like, I think we did great. I just don't know how critically important it is. Cause I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think you can make that distinction yourself. It's hard to do that. Oh yeah. I'm just more trying to say I'm proud of the work we did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it has a clear structure and ideology behind it. And it's not just flailing at Easter eggs and references. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what does this mean? I think we actually had, we had a point of view is which what I really wanted to say, which I think is important. You need to have for this series in particular, like, like again, I don't know if you could, you could do like a socialist reading of like final fantasy. I don't know how interesting it would be because you would kind of run out of stuff after a while. Socialist reading of the Shadows of Mordor games. You want to try it? I don't know. Okay. No, there's none. There's none. Yeah. You enslave orcs. I don't think that's uh, <laughs> doing imperialism. But yeah, I, I just, um, I'll talk in a bit about more of it, but I, I don't really feel like, I feel like we did about as well as we could have, which is all you can ask for. All that's left for you to take is my life by your own hand. One must die and one must live. No victory, no defeat. The survivor will carry on the fight. It is our destiny. The one who survives will inherit the title of boss. And the one who inherits the title of boss will face an existence of endless battle. All right, let's do some rankings here. Uh, First, we'll start with our favorite boss battles. Uh, we'll do a top five, and there's probably going to be some overlap, and we'll probably just read them in reverse order, um, so that way you can start with your lowest and end with your number one. Uh, Brian, do you want to go first on this one? Well, my honorable mention is Senator Armstrong, just because it's such a good fight, but my fifth is actually the solidest fight from the end of MGS2, even though it's not a particularly... I kind of, I think, thinking about it last night, I think... I think I enjoy the one-on-one, like the cowboy showdowns in this. The Yakuza shootout or yeah. showdowns? Yeah, I don't have the Ocelot one on here, but that's not really... That, that's like the one from MGS3, the actual duel. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really consider that like a boss fight. I don't think either character was attempting to kill the other character. It mm-hmm. meant nothing. The real Ocelot fight is the cutscene at the end. That's the real duel, and that's great. I love that, but it's not really a f- boss fight. But the solidest fight, I'll say, is um, I just love the visual of it. I know it's it's robbed a little bit by them having to change the cutscene around, so you don't actually see where you are in New York, because I don't know if people know where Federal. I mean, I don't. I couldn't tell you exactly where Federal Hall is. I know like general idea, but I kind of know. But yeah, I don't think that's you. Don't you don't really need to know because they try to obscure so much of Manhattan because of nine eleven. Mm. It's just kind of like the building and the statue, but everything else is just kind of whatever around it. Yeah, it, it actually works in the game's favor. Again, you don't know what's going on, really. 
But I just love I love the visual of a, a sword fight with the president on top of a federal hall. And Solos looks cool. It's probably not the fight. You probably could have done a, a more traditional Metal Gear fight with like weird little quirks in gameplay. It's kind of just a straight up duel, but I love it. I love the look of it. I love the music. Uh, it, it's just, I, I'm a big fan of it aesthetically. So there, it's number five. Uh, I'll do my number five. Oh, we'll just alternate. Why don't we do that? It'll be a little more interesting. Um, I picked Metal Gear Solid 4, a uh, liquid ocelot fight. Um, this is actually a fight I did not like for a long time um, because it is not mechanically like anything else in Metal Gear Solid 4. So whereas like Metal Gear Solid 3, the boss, the fight with the boss at the end feels like it's a culmination mm-hmm. of everything that existed in the game before. This one's like, we're going to do something radically different that's more of a shout out to say Metal Gear Solid 1. And 2 and 3. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think I'd enjoy this more kind of as a victory lap moment than say a boss fight per se. Um, it's got some great uh, Ocelot performance. It's got some of David Hayter's best stuff. Um, it's got the kiss. Uh, it just It's just more of like a fun moment to be in, um, even though it is kind of like a quick timey action, kind of clunky brawler thing. Um, I think I just like where it is and how it's supposed to cap off the series at the point that it was mm-hmm. um, that I just really enjoyed. It's a great like mood, if not like a great like mechanically sound fight itself. Yeah, uh, that's the same thing for Salas. I actually my fourth one is the original Liquid Snake fight. I mm-hmm, was going to mm-hmm. do this one and I, I decided I would do the Liquid Snake MGS one fight for a lot of the same reasons. I like the Salas one. I like the showdown. It's one of the gayest moments in all of Metal Gear. Um, it's one of the most Yakuza moments in all of Metal Gear. I don't know if there's a correlation there. <laughs> but I love that fight. I love that. I mean, that's that's like an iconic Metal Gear moment. Mm-hmm, the po- mm-hmm. I don't really like the Rex fight that much. We talked about it. It's The series gets better at, at de- depicting a snake fighting a giant uh, mechanical being. Like it's, it's much harder to do in 98. It's incredible they did it at all. But the Liquid Snake fight is great. I kind of consider the the chase scene part of that. It's like the same scene to me. So it's just the whole ending of MGS1. I really enjoy. I really think that the liquid performance is probably the... It's tough. It is among the best performances in the series. Mm -hmm. And it deserves its flowers here. I, I love that fight. I love how bloody and smeared they both are. Like They're both just really tired and exhausted. I love how... The fucked up red lights, the alarms, everything going off. It's it's just like chaotic, and yet an extremely simple fight. Um, I mean, it's one of the things. It's one of the things they changed least for Twin Snakes because it was like, yeah, it works. Just do that again. It already fits the crazy anime aesthetic that the yes. Twin Snakes was trying to heighten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot too. It's one of the most memed of the Metal Gear Solid moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you've probably seen video clips with other stuff overdubbed on it, whether it's Big Chungus or what have you. Um, a lot of the great iconic um, like line deliveries by Cam Clark are in there. Um, a lot of the like lore of the story is in there. The clones, a big boss, mm-hmm. the genome soldiers. Um, this is where the game confronts you with the with your violence, which is another huge part of Metal Gear Solid. I think it, it it's in like the handful of possibly the best moments of Metal Gear. Period. It's at least one that like probably captures everything that is Metal Gear. It's like show me one scene that defines everything that's in Metal Gear Solid that scene could be it. Uh, and the way you were talking about the Rex fight, that actually leads into my number four, which I have Sahelanthropus, which is what I imagine Kojima envisioned when he first set out putting the, together the snake versus giant mech battles. I think it's probably, 
I enjoy the Ray fight a lot in Metal Gear Solid 2 because it's just like, where are you doing this in? And you're fighting eight of them. It's really, it's really great for that moment. But I think Sahelanthropus is the best of the mech battles. You really feel like you're fighting a nuclear Godzilla for the first mm-hmm. time in a way that you really don't elsewhere. Um, Sahelanthropus is also just really cool. It has a ton of like awesome weapons, attacks, um, and you just have such a big map to play with. Um, I think it's just a lot of fun. You can really just run around and bust out rocket launchers. Um, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on with the support choppers involved. I don't know. I think it's like of like the Peace Walker Metal Gear Solid Five style of gameplay. I feel like it's the best realization of a Metal Gear Solid fight in that context. Um, I'll do my number three next. Um, I wanted to get something uh, else in here. So I picked the Fat Man fight. I think one thing Metal Gear Solid does well is like the big man that can move. Um, I really liked uh, the Vulcan (laughs) Raven fight, which is another one I thought about slotting in here. But I think the Fat Man fight is great just because Batman is himself a very interesting kind of guy, you know, with his like manicured nails, his wine glass with the straw, his rollerblades, which is just like so turn of the century. Um, And then I also actually like it mechanically. I love that you have to go around with the coolant and diffuse bombs while he's also like trying to shoot you. I think it's just a great fight um, in the middle of Metal Gear Solid 2. Not much else to say about it, but I just think it's one of the more fun fights in the Metal Gear saga. Yeah, Fat Man's, Fat Man's good. I used to hate it because I was a serious gamer. And I was, this is this game. This is serious. But no, it's. I love the uh, the bomb freezing. Working that in, I love. The, it's one of the great boss themes. Fat Man is a a weird little fop. Um, yeah, it's a great fight. I would say my number three. I mean, I was kind of surprised you didn't have it. Would be the boss, just the boss fight from MGS three. You know, the the high mark, the high water mark of the entire series. The boss fight. I don't know what else we could say about it. It's like a perfect fight. It's, it is a little bit more of a moment, but I was thinking about it. It is still a boss fight. Like it's still challenging. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to learn her patterns. You have to. There are still little tricks you can do to, to get to to like surprise her to get her out from behind cover. All this stuff. Like it's still a boss fight. It's not as 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 the accusation is always levied towards Metal Gear. It's not an interactive story, an interactive cutscene. That's really a criticism that never holds water for me because these are ex- mechanically very deep games. Um, I again, as always with, with stealth games, I think people just don't um, have no imagination with them and just play them straightforwardly and they get bored by it. That's your fault. Any game that has a lot of open systems that you can toy around with, if you're bored, unless it's just like a not a good, like it's not a well made game, like a game that doesn't actually work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're bored doing that, it's it's. You're you're playing it too. You're playing too conservatively. You're playing too, and I, I play very conservatively at these games, but I'm not bored by that. You're just you, it's on you. That's your fault. I feel like so. Yeah, if, if the boss fight to you is just like two people punching each other in a field, a you have a uh, you have a brain condition. You need to seek immediate medical care. But also, like it's just not. Um, it's just a great. It's a great fight. I don't know what to say. It's it's the high water mark of the series. Is what I should say. Mm-hmm. And I know we're mostly talking about the battle, but I, you know, it's also surrounded by some of the best cutscenes in Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. Um, the boss speech before and I, everything that happens after with having to kill her. And to be honest, this could be my number one. I mostly just picked it because I put my top five in the dock first and I didn't want to just like 
take all the same ones. Because <laughs> um, I know we're at least going to have one that's the same, but otherwise it's all not overlap. Um, so I mostly just avoided it just so you would have a spot to speak to it. We've already talked about it enough, I feel like. I don't know. It's got more, more or less its whole episode. Yeah. Um, so getting into our number twos, I think we both decided we like uh, awesome boys with swords. Um, I'll go first here. I actually picked the Gray Fox fight from Metal Gear Solid. And a lot of this I'm going on memory um, because I did not get to play the original Metal Gear Solid for this podcast. That's the one Metal Gear I have not played in over a decade. Neither did I. I picked the Gray Fox fight because I just re- really remember it from when I was first a kid or I guess a teenager playing this game. That like bloody hallway scene um, that, you know, kind of leads up to the fight with him. Um, obviously, he took Ocelot's arm just a little bit before that. So he made a huge entrance into the story. And then I think there was just something to me about you're fighting a ninja. So you're not you can't use your gun. You have to like fight him hand to hand after you just fought Ocelot with a gun. Um, there was just something really satisfying about it to me. And it also leads into our meet cute with Snake and Hal. Um, so it's just like kind of a big, it's a big mark in that first Metal Gear Solid game in terms of a lot of things kind of center around this moment. And like I said, I was just drawn into the gimmick of it is like, okay, you're this uh, soldier, but now you have to fight hand to hand because otherwise this ninja will just block all your bullets, which was a gimmick I really liked, not knowing that there'd be so many more gimmicks and so many more bosses to come in the series. Yeah, I would say my only, it's not even a criticism. I guess it is a criticism of the, of that fight. Is I always feel like there's like gonna be another Gray Fox fight and it never happens. Like it doesn't really feel like a culmination. It's, it feels like an introduction to the character. It's like a recurring enemy character, and then he never shows up again. Well, he does, but you never fight him again, <laughs> which is makes sense. But it's a little, yeah, it's a little, um, just like the first time through, it's a little disorienting, I suppose, is what I would say. It doesn't really feel that way, and I, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, it'd be weird if all of a sudden now I was like. Actually, uh, Metal Gear disappointed my expectations. That means it's bad. But I don't know. I, I, just, I was considering putting it up there, but then I saw you had it, and I was like, I have reasons to not have it. Like, I think I can make an argument that the other ones I have here I like more. Mm-hmm. So the solidest fight is probably mechanically less interesting, but it's also, as I said, sword fighting the president on top of a federal building. So, you know. My second one is the ultimate cowboy showdown. The, the revengeance fight against Sam. Jet stream Sam, which is hard, by the way. Uh, the, uh, the first time I played it, I was playing on normal. I had to switch to easy for this fight. And then last time when I was playing, I was playing on hard. And I had to switch to normal. So maybe next time I play Revengeance, I'll be able to actually beat it on the difficulty I tried on. But it, um, I'm really bad at recognizing his patterns. And he's very fast and it hits very hard. But just aesthetically, it's a beautiful fight. Like, it's it's a completely meaningless fight. I mean, it's like it's Sam throwing his life away for basically no reason. Basically to free himself from from Armstrong's control. But it's... I just love it. It's it's one of the best moments of that game, which is a game that is literally just filled with best moments. <laughs> the uh, Revengeance is entirely a Raiden best of compilation. There's nothing else to it. I love it. Yeah, no, I really liked it. It was very difficult for me, but then mm. in retrospect, I realized my analog stick was broken, which made it really hard to parry with the right timing because it was kind of always moving and you have to kind of be still and time yes. your parries correctly yes. in that game. Um, so that's why I had some trouble. I had to go back and redo the previous mission to get some more like nano paste. Um, so I had a little more health, but um, I was able to beat it. But it is one of the like 
coolest ambiance scenes mm-hmm. um, or boss battles in all of Metal Gear. Um, that like sunset that's like half samurai, half western, and obviously those two genres are in conversation with each other. Um, but it felt like the most Kurosawa of all of Metal Gear Revengeance, which obviously has a big ninja samurai theme running through it in the first place. But So our number ones um, are the same. Uh, probably no surprise based on everything that we haven't mentioned. It is the end from Metal Gear Solid 3. Um, we covered this battle pretty extensively in our 16th episode um, when we were in Good the middle God. of our Metal Gear Solid 3 coverage. But I think it is that like open system. You can literally do this in a million ways and do it in ways even outside of the game by changing your calendar clock um, or just waiting a week, not playing the game for a little while. It is definitely one of the most galaxy brain boss battles in all of games, especially for the time that it came out in. But if you also just want to play it straight up normally and stalk the end or snipe the end, those are equally great ways to play it as well. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's it's not even a bo- it's hard to even call it like it, it's weird that I I broke my rule of having the big samurai. I could have done five like I could have easily had five duels. But this is this is a duel in its own way, but it, it's it's the best boss fight in the history of video games. It's what it is. It's mm-hmm. it completely even rejects the concept of a boss fight like it's completely detached from that. It's it's like a test. I don't know. It's it's a, it's a survival mission. It's, I mean, you can spend hours, you can spend like two hours doing it if you really are trying to play meticulously. Even if you're trying to just identify the end, shoot him, run away, it's still like 25 minutes. Like it's, it's as long as some like levels in other games. I think one of the only reasons you would ever remake MGS3 is to make this all one giant area without getting rid of load times, which do kind of get in the way of it. But it's the ultimate, like it's, it's the fight that I've always sold people on Metal Gear, like. Yeah, there's this fight where if you just uh, go into your PS2 settings and change the, the date for two weeks later, the guy will die, which is the most like, again, I think people make fun of stuff like that as like a quirky Kojima stuff. That's in, it's an incredible idea. Like it's so it it's does my favorite thing any video game can do, which is incorporate real world logic. Like um, Breath of the Wild did this a lot, where a lot of the puzzles could be solved by doing things that you think wouldn't work in a game. Like just putting like uh, you can connect a circuit by just putting out a bunch of metal weapons on the ground because they conduct electricity. Like, yeah, that works. Prey does this a lot where like there'll be a locked um, like you can look at there'll be like a all the, all the computer screens on the ship on the station in Prey are all touch screens. And so you can if you can't get to a, a computer, you can still throw something at the touch screen to activate it and you that's just not how video game logic generally works that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and that's metal gear is that's maybe its main trait to me is real world logic or some sort of advanced form of video game logic where it's not you can do things you maybe think you couldn't i would say they don't go far enough in some cases but that's a technological limitation because you know i was thinking of like hiding under body and stuff like that like stuff you can't really do in metal gear and maybe if it still existed you could but um i I really don't know what else to say about it it's it's a tremendous tremendous fight it's as i said the best fight in the history of video games she betrayed me cuz she what in the end she put down her gun and when she did she rejected her entire life up to that point, including me. 
What do you mean? In giving up her life, she abandoned everything she was as a soldier. And you consider that betrayal? I won't make the same choice as her. My future is going to be different. Then? Yeah, that's right. From now on, call me Big Boss. So next, let's do our top three favorite moments. Why don't you do your third first? Uh, yeah, mine is a mine is one I actually was I had to think about for a bit. Um, it's kind of an obscure one, but it's one I going through these games this time. I really, really resonated with me. It's um, I guess he's naked snake at that point, but it's it's Big Boss and Chico's meeting in Peace Walker where he gives him the little pep speech and tells him that his life belongs to him now. It's just like. It's it's I think it's the first time in that game where he comes off as big boss as like the legendary soldier. As we talked about during Peace Walker, that that game succeeds best at really painting Snake as like a, a figure worth like a cult of personality type, like a figure worth gravitating to. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it would be weird if the game was based around building up this this base of soldiers. And not, and you just and you had like oh solid snake, but it's like solid snake was your leader. People would just be like, "What's wrong with this weird guy? Like, why is he not? He's not a leader." And th- this really paints Big Boss as a leader. I, I like Chico. Like I, I was on record, Chico's a cool character. I just like I don't know. I wanted to have some Peace Walker moment, and that's the first one that came up to me. It's that or it's the end with uh, Peace Walker sacrificing itself, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. But I, I really like the Big Boss. It's one of Hater's best performances. It's just a great, it's a great, great bit. Yeah. Um, this is great. This is also like the most explicit Che Guevara stuff that comes up. Yes. Because Chico's like El Che. I know he, uh, the El Che stuff is dropped earlier when he uh, Snake saves Amanda, but um, it's really prominent here in the conversation with Chico. I did not have a Peace Walker moment. I almost put the moment where he kills the boss's horse. Um, first when he rides the boss's horse and then kills it and is having the Mm -hmm. flashbacks Mm -hmm. to killing the boss. But I felt like that would be just a little bit redundant with some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, including the boss battle we already did. Um, So I just wanted to get something else. Um, My number three, which will eventually be a nice transition into your number two, I kind of just wanted a moment where Snake just kicks ass, not necessarily like heavy in the pathos or emotion, but just like, oh yeah, this dude... Because a lot of times we talk about how Metal Gear Solid takes the piss out of the video game power fantasy, how you're peeing yourself, how you're being tortured, how some of your victories are contrived. But at the same time, it makes the few moments where Snake is legitimately just awesome, like hit that much harder. Um, One of those for me is when Old Snake and Metal Gear Solid 4 infiltrates Paradise Lost. And they're all the Paradise Lost members are like, is this the guy? He looks way too old. Um, and then I love that old snakes like, okay, five guys with guns. I'm going to take them all out non-lethally with kicks, punches and mm-hmm. chokeholds. Um, he like knocks out a guy by twisting his neck, <laughs> using his legs. He does a roundhouse kick showing us that old snake is still very agile. Um, I just love it. It's like one of the best CQC sequences in all of the game. Definitely the best one outside of Metal Gear Solid 3 is right here. I, I just think it's just a cool moment where Old Snake just kicks ass. 
Um, I like that he gets just that one unadulterated moment to be Snake. And once again, he doesn't kill anyone, um, but he just takes down like eight people. I think it's great. Yeah, as you said, it's a similar one for me. My second is in MGS3, uh, when you, at, at the beginning, and during the Richards mission, when the Ocelot unit... Well, not when the... Um, yeah, that cut, the whole cutscene, when Snake just like dismantles the whole unit. Is it the Gru unit? I think it is. It's But he just takes all those guys out in perfect Snake fashion. It's perfectly animated. It's, I mean, it's right when they got their... Um, mocap stuff really going so it just looks great as do a lot of scenes i kind of considered that like all the early ocelot scenes to be that sort of so also the the gun spinning which is my favorite thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just all of that stuff um i'm kind of considering that as like a both as like because the ocelot unit doesn't show up they show up later in the jungle and they show up if you kill the end earlier if you're a psychopath um but i love that i love the idea of this super i always love that they have like they build up this super elite unit and then snake just takes them apart anyways. Like that's a good running bit that happens a lot. Um, they, I mean, how often do they, they talk about the genome soldiers for like 10 minutes in MGS one. And then five minutes later, you can just like choke out 10 of them in a row and <laughs> keep going. I love that bit. It's a great. Yeah. Like you said, I wanted to get like some nice mocap stuff. I wanted to get some action stuff, like a, a nice fun kinetic cutscene in there, which is great. And I love, I almost consider that like the snake gun nut stuff, like anything to do with the little foundry that Sokolov is at is great. That's one of my favorite locations also. Yeah, Rasviat. It's one of the best. Yeah, Rasviat. Yeah, I love that one too. And if I did not put the old snake one, I probably would have put that one in just because he takes a bunch of dudes. That's also where the you're pretty good line comes from. Um, So it's very important to the Ocelot, Big Boss, romance that they're going to have over the several next games well we know snake loves taking a bunch of dudes so i'm going to uh, go back to the first metal gear solid to the moment where i was 14 years old and, and something like literally snapped in my brain um that is the death of sniper wolf um just like going back to the time of 1998 this was like the first time i really remember a sniper battle um in any video game and i'm always someone who's like I like snipers. Like I like that Tom Burgeon movie or Tom Berenger movie. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I like when James Bond has a sniper rifle, like in the living daylights. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a sniper guy. Um, and then you have this first time I had ever played a video game where you have a real sniper battle, um, with sniper wolf and like with the gun, uh, with your gun aim shaking, which was like a completely new and realistic invention. You had to take, it wasn't pentazamine in the first game. I think it was called something else. Um, but it was like, holy shit, this is incredible. And then after that, to have this like really tearful, sorrowful goodbye with Sniper Wolf, um, the stuff about Saladin always gets me, especially now knowing more about Big Boss. I love the whole, they call us dogs of war, but you're not one of us, you're a wolf. I think all that like mm-hmm. dialogue mm-hmm. hits really well. Um, I'll, uh, what's it called? Praise Jeremy Blaustein for probably translating that better than it probably was written initially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or how clumsily it would have been translated by the metal gear solid two and four translators um and then of course all the stuff with otacon after uh they mercy kill sniper wolf is like what are we fighting for what was she fighting for like all that stuff is great um i think it's some of the absolute best stuff in metal gear solid the game um and it's kind of the stuff that like triggered like oh this is instantly one of my favorite games of all time and it would basically dictate how i interacted with games going forward 
Speaking of interacting with games going forward, what's your number one? Yeah, I changed mine. I kind of forgot about it. I guess it's a moment. It's um, everything to do with, uh, I guess we would call it, in the guts of Arsenal when the colonel loses his mind and Ryden's running around naked. I know that's kind of, that may be controversial for me to say like eight, nine years ago, but it's it's the most confusing and bewildering moment in the history of games. It's so fucked up. And I, I'm looking I look forward to it like Christmas morning every time I play that game. <laughs> yes, yes. It's so good. It's so just everything that, that really just threw all the entire breakdown of the of both the AIs and and the, I mean, as people have called it, the most predictive moment in the history of games like it's that just everything about the whole rant the colonel's entire rant about technology and about i guess sentience and the the tr- uh, quote-unquote the truth all that mm-hmm. uh, algorithms all, all that shit it's so good it's such a great again it's it's hard to say how much of it is from kojima himself and how much is owed to his translators uh, I forgot her name. She did great work, too, um, even though she hates it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. It's an incredible, like, I just lost my train of thought thinking about it because it, it, like, fucked me up so much. That was really, for me, because I played three first, and then I went back and played one, and I was like, I know what this series is. I get it. And then I played two, and I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. That's why two is such a, it's, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. I love that moment. It's among my favorite moments in all of pop culture, I would say, in all of media. Mm-hmm. And that's a very specific point. I'm going to come back to a little bit later when we rank the games, but it is absolutely incredible. The way I talk about how like Death of Sniper Wolf was like something meaningful to me as like a big first in terms of video games. Mm-hmm. This was like the first time like talking about video games and analyzing video games because i was still pretty young it's mostly just like i picked up a game that had a title i liked and played it and beat it and that was that um this was the first one that really made me think about what i was doing in a way that no other game had i think it's it's got to be up there as one of like the top two or three video game moments ever i don't even know what would compete with it but i don't play enough games to talk about that um in the first place but it is absolutely memorable and i also like you know, at first when you're a kid and you just want some easy answers, it's like, wait, who are the Patriots? Wait, what are they? But when you realize it's this shapeless, formless, interconnected set of systems that are working at a level so opaque and so removed from you that you can't even fathom what it is, like that just rings truer and truer as life goes on. And you realize that it's all just a mashup of institutions that are mm-hmm. leaving us in the, sa- the system, as they say in Metal Gear Solid 4. This is one of the first truly systemic critiques I found, um, or at least one that I was able to register at the time Mm -hmm. um, that I, you know, it kind of had an effect on how I looked at stuff going forward. And obviously it also affected how I discussed things that say break the fourth wall or are more openly meta than others. I'm glad I watched this or played this game before I watched Synecdoche, New York (laughs) um, or something like that. I just think it's very foundational in how I think about art generally for getting video games, and I don't think that can be replaced. My number one is the end slash epilogue of Metal Gear Solid 3. This would be the big boss walking into the president's office, uh, intercut with... The debrief, is how you should say it. Yeah, the debrief. Yeah, you had that term in here earlier. That's perfect. 
um, where Eva's telling you the truth about what happened, about what the boss's real mission was. Um, you meet the Chad LBJ here who gives you the title of Big Boss. Um, Ocelot's just floating outside the window, you know. Ocelot's hanging out like a person waiting for Best Buy to open. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey. Uh, Ocelot's <laughs> just off screen laughing, too, uh, in the Nathan Fielder parlance. Um, I love, you know, Snake, like, not shaking the hands of the various CIA guys on his way out. He doesn't even look at Zero or Paramedic with any affection. Um, the march to the boss's gravestone. It's probably like the most soaring the original Harry Gregson Williams scores were. Um, the very slowed down version of the main Metal Gear theme. Um, crescendoing with the salute at the boss's grave. The tear rolling down Big Boss's cheek. Um, in terms of just like a purely cinematic moment, I don't think Kojima ever did better than that. No, I mean it's it's a reason. There's a reason it. There's a reason he redid it twice. Um, I almost put the uh, "this is good, isn't it?" moment. I actually really like that, but I understand people don't. The, the criticism is always that it it kind of rejects everything that happened in MGS Four just for an epilogue, a cool epilogue. But I don't like everything that happens in every MGS Four, so I don't mind that. But yeah, I mean it's the most. It's one of the most memed. I think people know what that is just through osmosis. Like just that shot of, of him crying and saluting. But yeah, it's it's I mean, we talk about rejecting the power of fantasy. This is the end of this game is just obliterates this character. Like he's just gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It takes him a decade. And in in our time, it takes him what six and a half years to before he resembles himself again by the end of Peace Walker. You're right. Like it just shatters this person. And that's really not something games do very often. A game is I mean, I've been meaning to talk about like how many games have good endings? How many games are able to be like even like a ten-hour experience, which is like kind of a short game? It's very hard to encapsulate all that in a in an ending that makes sense, especially when you get games like like open like GTA style games where like you can spend or you know Skyrim or whatever where you can spend ninety-eight percent of your time not doing the story. How is the story supposed to ending supposed to mean anything to that kind of experience? And these games are helped by the fact that they're kind of linear story games for the most part. So it's easier to, they're, they're more authored. They're in fact the most authored, I would say. But yeah, I mean, I, I could still probably count on two hands the number of games that I think have legitimately good endings, like not just pretty good for a game, but like endings that really work emotionally. And that's one, like The Last of Us. But the difference is, I mean, even with The Last of Us, I guess The Last of Us does kind of destroy his Joel's character. Like, he becomes an untrustworthy character, but then they don't do anything with it. But yeah, I, I mean, I can't think of another game that GTA 4 was heavily criticized for. Its ending is just sort of Nico, just sort of, oh, that's it. That's the ending. It's, it's a great, I like it a lot. It's a great ending to a story about a man who's sacrificing his soul for revenge. And then he, does, he gets his revenge and then he's just, well, what now? That's a great ending for that. But even that doesn't go nearly as far as this goes in just obliterating a character. Like it's just wiping this person's worldview, like completely obliterating their worldview, wiping them from the face of the earth. He He's a husk. He doesn't speak to anybody. Like you said, he doesn't look. I think a lot of times people read that as him not looking at, at, Major, at Major Zero or Paramedic as him like not wanting to associate with them. I, I really think it's he doesn't want them to associate with him. Like he feels... With what he's done, he feels like he doesn't deserve, like, he's not good enough to be there. And he's just gone. What a way to end a game. 
just taking your character and breaking them in half. So that's why they call him Vamp. No, Vamp isn't for vampire. It's because he's bisexual. In our introductory episode, we both ranked the Metal Gear games per our preferences, and that was as of December 2020. We'll give you our recaps now, but or our ranking, our final rankings now. But first, let's recap our previous rankings. Um, I'll do all of mine in full, and then hand the mic over to Brian. So, uh, back in December 2020, number one for me was Snake Eater. Two was Phantom Pain. Three is Peace Walker. Four Sons of Liberty. Five Metal Gear Solid 1998. Six is Ground Zeroes, and seven was Guns of the Patriots. Looking back on it after our coverage, I flipped my top two, and I will say, much like picking the bosses, some of this I did for the sake of the podcast, because I think my number two, Snake Eater, is still pound for pound the best game. But as per our 11-episode coverage of Metal Gear Solid Five, I think you can probably tell I spend more time thinking about that game, warts and all, than I basically do the rest. It's just dense with lore and history, and even doing that without being specifically dense with cutscenes or codec calls. The messiness, its problems make it just more interesting to talk about to me. It allowed me to do a David Bowie episode, which I'll be forever grateful. (laughs) Um, So I'm putting MGSV as one. It's also the game I have put four to 500 hours of gameplay into, um, which no other game does, but that's also because of its open world nature. Number two, Snake Eater as... You've heard us talk, it has the best boss fights, it has the best ending. It's great. Uh, number three is Metal Gear Solid 2 for me, which is a little higher on my list. And I probably do enjoy number four, Peace Walker, more. But I think Metal Gear Solid 2 is the most important piece of art I've consumed in my life. That's how I'll leave it. Um, it's staggering in terms of craft, theme, and prescience. And it's just something that I'll forever remember where I was in the moment when Metal Gear Solid 2 came out. It's almost like the Phantom Menace in the way where it was just a very specific time in pop culture and the way people talked about stuff. Um, And I think its themes are just super important. Um, So I had Metal Gear Solid 2 as number three, but ultimately it is probably the most important piece of art on this list for me. That came out at the time where everyone had to have uh, like light blue to dark blue, like electric menus. Because like there's like four games that came out around then where all the menus had that MGS2 look. Mm-hmm. Halo had that. One of the Tony Hawks had that. Like it just like every game kind of looked like that. Every every game had that. It's fun looking back aesthetically to be like, what's like the future aesthetic for in the early two thousands? And it's like um, tsunami aesthetic. That's what I'm thinking <laughs> of. Like that. That uh, like neon blue light, like uh, on top of like dark metal, like uh, site. It's it's like the the um. Like the, almost like the Eva, the Eva aesthetic, like that aesthetic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, so yeah, great. I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's the very, that's very much of its time. It's really the only way that game is of its time. It still looks good. They should not remake MGS two. Okay, there. Go ahead. Uh, my number four is Peace Walker, which I maintain has the best politics in any game I've ever played. Number five, I have the OG Metal Gear Solid. What's there to say? It was great. Number six, I put Guns of the Patriots because even if it was the game we were most down on. The parts that work really work for me, um, and some of the emotionality pushes it over the edge. And like I said, prior to MGSV, it is the game I spent the most time with because it was the only one I could play for six or seven years. Um, So I just am overly fond of it, even though I know it is one of the weaker Metal Gear entries. Number seven is Revengeance. It's good. I I really liked it. I played it for the first time for this podcast. 
I think if I didn't have a broken PlayStation analog stick, I would have liked it a little more because it just added a little bit difficulty that really isn't there in the game. Extra hard mode. <laughs> yeah. And it's 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 also nothing against this game. It's more just I I love the stealth laying on the floor for hours approach. Um, so this was just a little bit of a change up for me, but I think it is still an excellent game. I'm glad I played it. I will replay it whenever I do my Metal Gear replays going forward. I might have to get a copy on my Xbox 360, though. I don't think I can play it on the PlayStation Store. If only you knew someone who had one. If only I did. And then finally for me is Ground Zeroes. And this is mostly just because it is a shorter experience. And you can even tell some of the mechanics and gameplay stuff was ironed out in time for The Phantom Pain, which mm-hmm. came out a year and a half later. Um, I just think it's it's not a whole ton of game. I like Ground Zeroes a lot, but compared to the full-ass games and everything else, is it, I don't really know where else I could put it. Yep. Uh, spoiler, that's where Ground Zeroes is for me as well. See, my old rankings were Snake Eater 1, then Peace Walker, Metal Gear Solid, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, then Revengeance, then Ground Zeroes, then Phantom Pain, which is weird. I think I meant to have that backwards. Um, then then MGS4, and then I had Portal Ops, which I have seen. But we didn't talk about it, so I'm not even going to put it on here. My new ranking has uh, changed a little bit. I feel bad because I think the top six is really close for me. Like, it's all... Well, Snake Eater is one. I'll, Snake Eater is my third favorite game ever, so it's up there. But I think, too, like, I, I just have more and more appreciation for MGS2 every time I play it. It's like Deadwood for me, where every time I go through it again, I like it more, which is doesn't happen that often with art. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I, I think it's, you're very right to call it one of the most important pieces of art of the 21st century. It absolutely is. I don't know what else to say about it. I talked about it a lot today. And then three, I felt it would be accurate to have. I think the most people would agree the peak of the series is the original trilogy. It's, mm-hmm. It always Without is for so, for so much, for so many pieces, of, so many franchises. So MGS1 is my third favorite. Again, I don't know what, it's great. It's MGS, it gets you high. Four, I have Revengeance. It was really tough for me, Revengeance of Peace Walker. I don't mean to sound like I'm dropping Peace Walker as though I don't like it. Although I did find the some of the missions a little more tedious on a second time through. Mm-hmm. But that's just more the design of the game. It's still great. I paid $10 to play it. I would gladly do so 100 times again. So that's, yeah, Peace Walker's five. Revengeance four, Peace Walker five. Those are, I, I think those two are my two favorite non-core games. So I think that makes sense. But it's tough for me to put Phantom Pain at six. It seems like I don't like it, and I, I love it. It's great. Um, so those are the top six for me. Then a slight drop to MGS4, as much as I, I criticized it in relation to these games. As, as I said before, in relation to anything else that came out in 2008, it's still probably, I don't know what's even close. That wasn't a super great year, but like the Mirror's Edge, great game. I like it a lot. It's not it's not MGS4. Um, and then, yeah, 8 Ground Zeroes. It's good. It's, uh, I don't know. Replaying, I, I just like ran through it this time. I was like, I don't I don't need to play this again. Like Part of it is I put probably 35 hours into it, maybe 40 hours into it when it came out. Because I that was the last time I was unemployed. Was that like early, mid 2014? And I was basically done. I only had like four semesters to go for, to get my degree. And uh, and I was going on, you know, semester by semester, paying for it out of pocket by that point because I stupidly used all my grants. So I, I played shit in that game. Like I did everything and I feel like I, I'm just done with it. Like I did not feel very compelled to replay it this time. And I may not again. I feel like. It served its purpose, but being the eighth best Metal Gear game is no is not a uh, 
an indictment. It's still a quality experience. And definitely, I think that this, the scope of it makes it easier to really just burn through. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could spend a weekend burning through that game and you'll have a good time. Yeah. Uh, I, I thank Kojima for giving us Ground Zero, so it makes it very easy to put a game at the bottom of the list yeah, without feeling yeah. like we're shunting it. I don't know why I had it so high before. I guess because I had I had such good memories of that, like eight, six days I sat with it. I spent with, I uh, I think I game played that game, or maybe I rented it at the video rental place that we used to have <laughs> that lasted to like early 2021, actually, surprisingly. Returning it to its owner. I don't need a handkerchief. Why? I don't have any more tears to shed. I'm going to the underground base. We're out of time. I know. You'll have to protect yourself now. Don't trust anyone. Yeah. If I can't stop Metal Gear, this whole place will probably be bombed to hell. Yeah. We might not meet again. I'll hang on to my codec. I want to keep helping. You can leave any time. Get a head start. A head start on your new life. Snake! What was she fighting for? What am I fighting for? What are you fighting for? If we make it through this, I'll tell you. Well, here we are at the end of all things, though I wouldn't call it goodbye, more like smell you later. Oh yeah, I'm leaving you with both the Lord of the Rings and Simpsons reference. Though my work will take me to other realms next, this really feels like the podcast I cut my teeth on. I did a scene of Ice and Fire with buddy Andrew Mearns prior to this, but he handled a lot of the production, and we mostly just shot the shit about Thrones. This was the first time we really got into outlining, researching, sound clipping, the whole shebang. So this podcast will always hold a special place in my heart, as will my co-host Brian. We were friends before this podcast, mostly of the Twitter variety, though we did some collab over on Screenfellows, a site ran by our mutual friend David. So we weren't strangers by any means before this. But as it turns out, made a friend for life. Getting to talk to Brian every week has been a delight, the perfect cause to my ocelot, or the other way around, someone well-versed in the last 20 years of games to help round out my very specific Metal Gear expertise, someone to provide balance when I got too far up Kojima's ass, someone to create context for my content. Create context. Brian's visited twice since we started this podcast, and I imagine these trips will be some sort of regularity for the two of us. We are bonded in our love of games, of movies, of Cowboy Bebop, and most of all, our love of cats. So here's to you, buddy. Our love of Cheney, specifically. I don't like that other <laughs> guy. No, he's, I, I, want, I want to be his friend. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been thinking, I was thinking about this as part of the reason I, I overslept a little bit, because I was trying to rewrite this I was actually writing something for this podcast. Incredible. But um, it's going to sound a little weird when I just launch into it. No, you're good. I think the uh, the media environment we have right now is completely oversaturated with a meaningless drivel and just content. I remember that was a thread of Relic on. I agree wholeheartedly. Just calling something content, has, there's no implication of, of artistry or quality or like touch or care or anything. It's just content. It's just something to consume. And Metal Gear is 
in many ways the antithesis of that. Like, I really don't know how you can play these games and just experience them as like action games and then just move on. Like, I really don't think you can do that. You you have to bring something to it, and it exists. Even in 2004, it was beyond those constraints. And, and as we get farther and farther away from that era, it's the importance in that regard just grows and grows and grows. It means even more now when it means more to do to mean more, if that makes sense. <laughs> I'm an English major. I, I have a degree. <laughs> uh, this, this is not a franchise that is meant to fill out a Wikipedia entry. It's not a series of events whose retelling spoils it. It's not just a checklist of things that happen. You can't watch Metal Gear or hear Metal Gear or listen to Metal Gear. You have to play it if possible. I know some people can't, and I'm sorry about that. And I, you, if you can't watch a gameplay walkthrough, that that that's as close as you're gonna get. But it's just like I said, any game that lets you play with its systems and has a deeply entrenched, if not socialist, then at least anti-imperialist politics. Like it's just not. There's nothing else that does that, and. I feel like, if nothing else, we've we've sort of hammered that home, because I feel like Metal Gear, and I know most people who play that, who listen to this, are already played Metal Gear, but it's something that I think I said through osmosis, a lot of people picked up Metal Gear, and it's like this weird little brother franchise. You know, people make fun of the tropes of it, and they should; they're, they're funny. But it's I, I feel like to really get what Metal Gear is, you really have to, like I said, dive into it. It's it's something just entirely different from whatever, again, like just most game series. I mean, what is Grand Theft Auto about? Because it is it is very an anti-imperialist game in a lot of ways, but it doesn't it confuses that and it, it tricks you with that. It, it it hides those things, whereas Metal Gear does not. Metal Gear politically, socially, philosophically stands for things that big budget games will not do now. Things that auteurs don't even begin to broach unless you are named Yoko Taro. Um, he does them also. <laughs> and he also uh, makes them more fucked up and, and hard to watch and harder to play. But the, these games, even even the lesser ones, even MGS4, I, I hate to say lesser, even Portable Ops, I assume. <laughs> they're shining pillars of meticulous game design, bizarre aesthetics, robust anti-imperialism. They are bespoke creations. Like They exist... Sometimes they, they exist. Sometimes they feel like they exist for you. Sometimes they feel like they're made to an audience of one, even if that audience is Hideo Kojima. Uh, <laughs> they 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 reach into you. They reach into that little flickering light that exists in all inside all human beings. And I really hope that if this podcast did that in any way, I feel like we were successful in whatever we tried to do. We exist. Light is forming us. We are real, and we are big boss. And then I want to try and butcher something in French. I'm, I'm in a Disco Elysium kick. This is a lot of Disco Elysium stuff. One day I will return to your side. We will come back at some, in some form. No, that's great. Uh, we will be back, just like Metal Gear will maybe be back. Uh, <laughs> good Lord. James Bond will return. It's really beautifully said. I'm pretty much just going to copy and paste half this stuff when I start promoting this uh, episode on social media. Yeah, no, that's great. That's beautiful. I love it. And before we sign off, last of all, we wanted to thank all of you out there, the dozens of you that there may be. There are dozens of us. <laughs> this was always going to be a niche podcast. Metal Gear Solid, though critically a darling, has always been divisive among gamers. And even those who love it may not want 70 some hours worth of discussion on them. But to the sickos and freaks out there who listen to us, 
who subscribed and sent in questions and boosted us on Twitter. We salute you. Snake, wait up. You forgot these. Hmm. No thanks. I'm quitting. Snake. These things will kill you. Where will you go? Our fight is finished. There's nothing left for us to do. No. There's one thing I still have to do. I have to see this age off. See what the future brings. Sounds good to me. I'll go with you. Huh. Otacron. I'm gonna be dead soon. You don't have to come. You said it yourself, Snake. There's nothing inside you can pass on to the next generation. No genes, no memes. You're man-made. You're a beast. I know. A blue rose. There won't be any happy Beauty and the Beast ending for me. What little time I have left will be spent living as a beast. A shadow of the inside. Of the old age. Exactly. That's why you need me. As a witness. A witness? Yeah. Someone on the outside to bear witness to your final days. Someone to pass on your story. Not that I'm the only witness. But I'll remember everything you were and stick with you to the end. Otacon. Besides, you wouldn't let me suffer Sonny's eggs alone, would you? And that's mission complete for this podcast. Our frequency is podcastsoundsfrontiers at gmail.com, but I don't think we're going to have anyone manning that email anytime soon. Um, we will remain active on social media, so please follow Front on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to support my ongoing efforts over at Middle Earth, you can do that at patreon.com slash mybromycatmypod. Or if you want to go to Westeros with me, check out patreon.com slash notacastasoiam. <laughs> Jesus, I almost forgot there. What I did not forget is my name. I've been Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. I have been Brian, and a, na- a name means nothing on the battlefield. Oh, that's not a big deal that I forgot it. Yeah. I uh, want to give a big, big thank you to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. DJ Empirical. Fixing all our bullshit. <laughs> He's been producing our podcast. He's had to deal with us, you know, record from different locations, from obnoxious drilling and construction on both our ends. To my heat that just turned on because I forgot to turn it off. All that shit. But he, he, he makes us sound good. He also allowed us to do all the sound clips and musical things, which I think really helped bring our podcast to life. Um, and allow you to relive the games with us. So, Stephen, specifically, here's to you. So, please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. That may seem unnecessary now, but we plan to leave this space up there so people can find our Metal Gear Solid work, and we hope to eventually return to it to cover some other stuff. So, if you leave a review for us, uh, specifically a five-star review, that will go a long way in making sure our memes lives on. So... For the last time, remember, the best is yet to come. Cool.
is why you're the best, boss. The one and only.